0: to Mom Body Soul Podcast. I'm Lindsay and I'm Ziggy. Mom Body Soul Podcast was born from some open,
1: honest conversations about our own personal fertility, birth, and parenting journeys. Having worked in the pre and postnatal wellness industry for many years, we have learned so much and have made so many amazing connections with other mamas and health professionals. We talk triumphs and struggles. And learn from inspiring expert guests
0: who share not only their work, but their personal stories, too.
1: We're more than just moms. This is Mom, Body, Soul. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. (gasps) This week super excited. It's our first man. Our first man. Yeah, on the Mom Body Soul podcast. And he's fantastic. Dr. David Spector.
0: Dr. David Spector. He gave us some really cool perspective on the the effect of the patriarchy on the man. I honestly have never thought about this, the way that he sort of laid it out. That it affects men in terms of the expectations of the stereotypes and the roles and the limit I mean, I have thought about it a little bit, but in terms of what we're talking about here,
1: like, cause we're I talking think I about, think the, about it a lot because I have, you have two boys. Yeah. You know, I'm with a man who is extremely masculine. I've worked in such a male dominated industry in the fitness industry. So I've been surrounded by toxic masculinity a lot. And I'm and I'm a mother. I'm very sensitive and emotional, but I also find myself going into a masculine a lot. And so raising boys, I want them to have both that that softness and that hardness. But it's hard navigating that raising boys when i am not a boy and b don't know what's appropriate and see that's kind of what was amazing to hear from david was his perspective of we're kind of failing men in a way the women are fine because we've all got each other and we're all rallying around each other supporting each other saying this is what needs to change and we're changing it but what we've done with men is we've told them okay well now you need to be softer and more feminine and allow all these things and there's kind of no outlet for it and it's really difficult to find the balance and support men emotionally because they don't know how to they're not raised to interesting
0: I hadn't thought about it
1: because I've
0: been so caught up in this I don't want to call it a movement but it is I guess a movement of recent years where we're becoming really aware of women's roles and gender stereotypes and me too and all of these things and I am raising a girl and I'm thinking about how I can tap into her other sides and we talk to her about strength and knowledge and lots of things and her emotions too I try to be really broad about it, but it's just very interesting to hear. We don't get too deep on it today, but it's something that's been on both of our minds. We talk a lot about feelings, emotions, loss, dealing with loss, the male perspective, the partner, not just male, the partner perspective as well. And please bear in mind, when we say man in this episode, we are referring to the partner as well. But the reason we say man is because we're Speaking to a man
1: in this particular case. And we both have husbands. And we both, and we do both have husbands. And just with this episode as well, we do deal with loss. So just bear that in mind. And if you do need a little bit more emotional support, head to your local mental health service. I was really touched by, well, Dave's story the first time he told it to me when we met in person and again.
0: He is a wonderful, wonderful, insightful human being. I hope you really enjoyed as much as we enjoyed speaking to him. And final caveat is that this was done via Zoom. Dave was joining us from Melbourne, where he's currently residing. So if the quality of the audio is not what you expected it to be, we're sorry. But please bear with. Enjoy. We're here with Dr. David Spector, who I also know through very good mutual friends of both of ours. Uh, We met one year ago, over a year ago, in Thailand. Remember traveling? (laughs) Traveling was a nice thing. The The good
2: old days.
0: The good old days. So I remember very fondly when I met you, we sat at a dinner table for our friends 40th and you shared with me some personal stories about yourself, Mm. and also what you do. Do you want to share a little bit about what you do
1: first?
2: Yeah, well, sure. I mean, the doctor in front of my name comes from being a clinical psychologist. And the way I describe that is really just say that I work with people who are in suffering. They can come to see me and I try and obviously help alleviate that suffering. Um, And I I have my own private practice, and I see people in Melbourne, Australia, that's where I'm based. Some of my history is often involved in men's mental health.
1: That actually
0: reminds me, you're our first man. You are, welcome. On Mom, Body, Soul. Men's mental health isn't as something that's as talked about or as, Mm. you know, dealt with. And I have a lot of clients because I see couples, and often I'll get the partner saying that they would have loved some support, and do I know anybody that they could mm. be referred to? And they're looking mm. for that that um, that support, but there's always that focus more towards the mother. But before we yes. get into that, we're going to get into mm. that for sure. sure. I want to hear a little bit about your personal journey, if you're open to sharing it.
2: Yeah, look, I think it's really important to share um okay. and often that's actually something you don't hear from clinical psychologists a lot uh we don't often speak about our own journeys and I'm, I'm not really sure I understand the the reason behind that because we're human like everyone else and have experiences so uh, my wife and I obviously we got married um and we you know after uh, the first year we started to try and have have a child and um and I was aware that there was a, a you know high percentage of first-time pregnancies um, miscarry. And the first time we didn't we didn't struggle to get pregnant, which was which was a blessing. Um, but um, after eight weeks, unfortunately, um, we lost that pregnancy. And then um, that was shocking. I mean, it was shocking just to have it happen, even though you might be aware of it, just to to have it. Happen and then watch your wife uh, go through that, but also you as the partner and having to deal with that. And 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 I, I would focus on that if it was our only experience. But unfortunately, that was not our only experience of, of miscarriage. So I'll move it forward. Um, so we tried again quite soon after to get pregnant. We were lucky at that time. We, we got pregnant, and our daughter Summer was born. And then. Um, After a year and a bit, we tried again. Um, And eight weeks later, on my wife's 30th birthday, she miscarried. And um, that, again, we thought, you know, those kind of nonsensical beliefs that, you know, you've got it out of the way. It's done. It's not going to happen again. And yet it happened again. And then we managed that. And, again, I would focus on the pain of that experience if that was the last miscarriage we had, but it wasn't. Uh, we tried again some months after and there was this anxiety there's an anxiety once you've experienced it there's an anxiety Mm -hmm. that happens And, and as a man I can tell my anxiety but also for my wife the anxiety is like every moment every day and when you find out it's quite early and the earlier you find out the longer you have to wait and it's, it's almost like it's painful to get to that miraculous 13 or 12, 13 week stage. And one of the things I found, particularly as a man, was a partner. So it doesn't have to just be a man. But I wasn't inside my wife's body. I didn't know every feeling she was having. I didn't know whether she was having a cramp, whether she felt fine, whether she was feeling sick, but it was just morning sickness. I didn't know whether she was just exhausted because that's just what happens or whether there was something else going on. I would go to work and I didn't know if she went to the toilet and there was blood there. And I would find myself getting very anxious about, well, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. And I don't, you know, you don't want to hassle your partner and go, and now, and now are you okay? And now, but you know, there's this part of you inside that's going, you know, that's experiencing the loss you have. And then it's coming out in this trauma and the anxiety you have about these these weeks that you're counting down. And anyway, so we got to uh, 13 weeks magically. And we were like, this is fantastic. Um, we're good. We went to the scan. We found out it was a girl. Uh, another girl started, you know, fantasizing about your imagined future on the 13 weeks that night. Um, I've started to bleed and cramp. And it was around two in the morning. We had our toddler sleeping the next, finally asleep in the next room. And suddenly at two in the morning, my wife's cramping and bleeding, and it's quite severe. The pain is immense. So we have to wake up the baby, go to hospital. And that's hard when you've got a toddler at two in the morning driving. And, ha- and I had to manage my toddler, and I couldn't be with my wife when she was in this pain. And so stretching yourself as a partner in that way, I found very difficult.
0: Like, how was that for you? Because you are having your own emotions as well. And you have to take care, obviously, of your partner because there's that medical aspect and emotional aspect. So that's a lot for you to take on, I think, in that role.
2: It was very hard. I wanted to, one, reassure and be there with my wife, but at the same time also reassure my daughter and be with her. And that just... Um, pulling and knowing which way to balance it and how to be there for everyone whilst also advocating for her in a hospital environment when potentially she couldn't, was very difficult. You know, we worked through that, but we went for a scan that morning. We had to wait all morning. We went for a scan and on the scan, the baby was fine. It was jumping about inside and the heartbeat was awesome. And they say, look, sometimes this happens. We'll keep you in overnight and, and, and we'll discharge you in the morning. So I go home finally at night try and get some sleep an hour later my wife calls me screaming in agony uh, and again I've got a I've got my baby in the house we've got the baby in the house so we have to I have to call her brother in the middle of the night get him to come over stay with our daughter and then I race over to the hospital and as I get to the hospital or her room I can hear her screaming itself and she's so much pain and actually it was more pain than than the labor the first time around. It is. It is excruciating. And
1: I've heard this many times. I've never experienced loss myself, but every woman who has then had a successful pregnancy and birth has said the the pain of a miscarriage is... So much more than pain of labor.
0: As soon as I studied more into what I do in terms of hypnobirthing, it all made sense from a physiological perspective, because when we're birthing, we want those good birth hormones. We want oxytocin and endorphins. You don't release those hormones when you're in mental stress and anguish and emotional pain. You're releasing adrenaline, you're releasing cortisol, and you're feeling sad and down. So you're cutting any feel-good hormones, of course. So there's no... Um, So it amplifies on top of all the emotions, it amplifies the physical experience of pain. And the body is, although you are losing the pregnancy, the body is still not ready. So my body was very convinced it was going to be pregnant. I mean, I felt pregnant for the whole time. I don't know if your wife experienced that, but I felt pregnant my whole term. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah, yes. Very similar, you know, and no, exactly. And obviously, I didn't know this either, you know, not having that background really in this area. And, and, um and so I come in and they're not giving her any pain. So I run up to like the nurse's station and say, what, what are you doing? You know, my wife is in pain. Can you please give her something? And I think they gave her morphine or something. And then eventually it calmed down and the pain went away. Th- thankfully. And then we, I slept there the night. And then we woke up in the morning. We went for a scan. That morning, baby's fine. Baby's awesome. Yeah. Again, moving, heartbeat strong, everything awesome. So again, we've gone through this roller coaster ride of this. It's like, how many times do we think we've lost the baby? And I just remember having lunch and we're talking. And then she she drops her fork and I see a look on her face. And then she stands up and I just see blood. Uh, there's this there's a pool of pool of blood. And and I help her to the to the bathroom. And as she's uh, sitting on the toilet I, I i can hear something uh drop and um and in that moment both her and i we look at each other and we we understand what's happened and and i'm feeling just this uh pain you know this physical pain and and i you know i'm, I'm holding my wife uh, while she's you know whilst this is happening and then we we press the nurse's button and this is the most you know, terrible moment. I think for us, um, the nurse comes in, and you know, it's lovely, wonderful people, obviously. But she goes, "What do you want to do? Do you want to press the flush?" And I, and I'm in that moment, and everything in my head is screaming, "No, no, please, no!" But I'm also in this moment where I'm the, I am, and I'll speak to this later, probably. But I'm the father. I'm the, I'm the husband. And it's not, I don't feel it's my right in that moment for whatever reason. And I actually don't hear what my wife says and I don't believe she said anything affirmative, but then they pressed it. And I heard myself guttural, not even like just just guttural, just going, no. And we never got a moment to just realize what had happened, be with each other, share that moment because we had named, you know, we knew we had built a relationship with this imagined future, yeah. this child. Yeah. The last thing I want to do was for it, its life to end up where it ended up. And that that pain, stay, you know, it stays with me now. It
0: never leaves you.
2: It doesn't leave. It doesn't but we, leave. We talked and, about this
0: yeah. last week, actually about because I put a post up I don't know if you saw it on Instagram of my son's two little footprints because that was I know yes I know know. um, and
2: I remember you saying that at the time you were like why why would they do that
0: why would they yes why would they give that to me and now what is it it's almost four maybe five years Mm -hmm. later I understand it Mm. but when I posted it up I said to Ziggy we didn't put a a trigger warning and then I I read something else about loss and sharing this mm. kind of stuff these kind of details mm. because we need to mark we need to mm. honor and we need mm. to grieve and it's our mm. pain and it's almost like by putting a trigger warning I'm saying oh look away from this don't look exactly. at my pain but actually exactly. we need to honor that and I'm sorry you didn't get that moment I really mm. understand Thank you. Mm. and I wish that I had kept remains but that like you said it doesn't go through Mm. your head you're not prepared and it's a very physical experience Mm. that you're having Mm. so so then what um what happened after that
2: well well let me just first say uh, I'm totally with you in terms of that because you know one of the best things we did um was we told everyone that we were pregnant and actually, I don't understand, and 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 I and and each to their own, by the way. Like everybody can deal with their pregnancy the way they want. I'm not I'm not preaching anything here. But as a society, as a man and as a as a parent, as a person who's gone through this, I don't I, understand why I, you would hide a pregnancy. I, I, you know, I agree with miscarry is a silent is a silent grief, and it shouldn't be silent. No grief should ever be silent. We as human beings you know, there's a pain and we often find it difficult to deal with other people's pain. We to, and we often find it difficult to deal with our pain. And I don't know whether we keep quiet because we're, we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. We don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable. But I can tell you from the job that I do, pain needs to be lent into, not away from. And by sharing, you enable that pain to be expressed. And, and so it's such, I'm so strong on this idea that I, you know, I would recommend to everybody never hide a pregnancy. And, and it's not just that, but there's also something about women and pregnancy and the discourse around failure and that women who have a, a pregnancy that somehow that if it doesn't come to fruition, there's a failure. And I think actually one of the reasons why we hide, um, pregnancies, while well, we don't talk about them, is actually this old concept that is outdated and, and not useful anymore in today's society. So whilst, as again, anyone can deal with their pregnancy as they want, but I see absolutely no utility in not expressing you're pregnant, um, sharing that, celebrating it. And then when you lose, if you lose, you have a community around you to hold you, to hold yeah. you. And what, what's more, what's more human than that?
0: There's so much of this that I, I mean, I so wholeheartedly agree with you because, first of all, I know that my healing was propelled by talking to people. Right. Um, that was the first thing I did was reach out to a therapist. Within yeah. a day or two, I was seeing someone, and it made a huge impact on me. But I was very vocal in sharing with all my friends and family. And then when I got pregnant and had the the, the consecutive the miscarriage after that, I was held by a community who knew what I had yeah. been through and who was just right. so right. present for me because they – were you know able to see my pain and, and it, it did help me right. a lot. And I I totally agree with that. Uh, I also think I'm sure you may have seen Chrissy Teigen posted a picture of her loss. Yes, have you seen yes, that? Yeah, yes. yeah. I, 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 was, I, that story. I, I was reading an article, so she wrote an article after like a follow up article, and she was like, you know, some people didn't want to look at that picture, but just the way I would look at my wedding day photo, I also want to look at this photo and remember and i feel like yeah. everyone wants to think about and remember mm. happy things but hide away sort of painful things mm. but you wrote this article that i read about mm. guilt mm. and it was saying mm. um, you know if we ignore feelings and what they're telling us we're ignoring them to you know what's alert what they're alerting us to i think that was it, it right
2: yeah. uh, exactly and in fact if if i've learned anything from my what is now for a 14 year career as a clinical psychologist, I've learned that um, feelings are signals, they're learning us to something that we need to pay attention to. And unfortunately we as human beings, we don't like pain. We generally don't want to walk on glass and we don't like to walk around sharp objects. But what do we do with this emotional experience of pain inside ourselves? You know, when we lose something we love, it's painful. When we feel guilt over something we've done, it's painful. When we're angry towards someone we love, it's painful. And what happens is, is we we generally we don't want to experience that. And who would? Why would you want to? But you get anxious over this pain and then you do something to distract yourself. And that thing that you do can cause symptoms, which then can cause disorders. And then those disorders become the problem problem but actually the funny thing is they're not the problem what's the problem is that pain you've been avoiding so although you know that's why I am so very passionate about this this thing of leaning into pain
0: we miss a lot of the the male perspective it's sort of and this is how I felt with Simon my husband was he was very focused on me and getting me through that time in my Mm. life which was amazing he was an incredible Mm. support but I often Mm. worried about him not processing the loss and you know when he saw the footprints that I posted on Instagram he was like oh that was that was quite difficult to see I didn't expect Mm -hmm. and I to be honest I didn't consider that that might be difficult for him which makes me feel pretty horrible as a partner because I'm such an aware person but I just thought Mm -hmm. oh he was so there for me present and strong throughout it and I would check in Mm -hmm. with him but he never really you know, lent into the pain or talked about it the same way that I did. So I'm
1: interested really in your perspective and your thoughts on this kind of stuff. Or even just with birth as well, women can experience a traumatic birth, but we don't really consider Mm. the father a lot Mm. if he's witnessing Mm. that or isn't Mm. able to witness it if he's on the other Mm. side of the door Mm. or whatever. Mm.
2: Yeah. And there's a two very interesting questions to consider and I'll answer the first one about my pain and then I'll also talk about what I've learned about how men experience birth uh, especially traumatic birth you know I wish I could say I think I dealt with it exceptionally well but the reality is um, I meandered through the the best way I could it was a very shocking moment that moment and as as you can tell it stayed with me and the whole thing has stayed with me and also the other thing about being a parent at that time was we had a Fourteen-month-old wasn't like we could just spend time uh, on ourselves. We had a fourteen-month-old running around, which took up all of our time. And so, you know, from the moment we set foot in the house, we were on again. And you kind of lose yourself in that because you know she wasn't sleeping well. It, it was something that we really almost hardly had the time to discuss and and, and download ourselves. But what I did do and what um, and what I, goes back to what I was saying about leaning into pain and having community around you, as I spoke, I spoke to my best friends, you know, the, I, I went through the story and I debriefed and I got that sense of validation and that my pain was heard. And when you tell a story, as you said, Lindsay, and I'm sure you found Ziggy as well, when you tell a story, you're reliving this emotional pain. You're not avoiding it. You are allowing it to build capacity to tolerate. And this is the thing with pain is what you have to do is you have to build your capacity to tolerate this emotional pain inside so that you can move through it so you don't move around it. And what most people do with pain, understandably, is they feel it and they're like, no, thank you. I'm off in this direction. And and that's how we move around pain. And again, that's how we develop symptoms and coping mechanisms that become maladaptive. And so by telling your story, by having a community to share it with, by seeing someone to talk about it, what you're doing in that moment is as you experience the emotions in the room, with, which is born witness by another, you're building your capacity to tolerate your experience.
0: So you have a special group of friends, actually. But how mm. did they take it when you shared this? Because what struck me when we were sitting down at that dinner and, and you shared these mm. stories with me and I mm. shared my mm. stories back with you was I've never had a conversation like that with a man and not to make this about male and female but yeah, about sure. part about partner to somebody mm. going through that mm. i never had these chats
2: every one of my male friends were and female friends were just beautiful you know beautiful you know even if people say the wrong thing um they're allowed to you know i i don't think we should ever shut down people's um want because the 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 senses they always want to help they always want to be there for you but I must say that my friends just were were really beautiful and very loving and very patient and very accepting and I I believe and I've seen in men they have that capacity in societal sort of understanding men don't have that capacity they're incredibly loving maybe in different ways but I felt very held
0: I think it's that it's not
2: that I feel yeah I don't feel the lack of capacity but maybe the space yeah I know that's that's um, finding a time yeah. that that's possible that was the most difficult thing. believe it or not one of the most under-researched areas in in the postnatal field in terms of men is actually their experience of birth which is kind of surprising because you think well this would be you know uh, a very well researched area it's not and actually through my research what I understood of the experiences, it can be an extremely, extremely difficult moment for men, because especially if, you know, your wife's life can be at risk, and then your baby's life can be at risk. And you're standing there, and you may not be medical, and you have no control in that moment. Your wife is in pain. She's screaming, this person you love. You're seeing this. There's very little you can do. You don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes you're the one that has to make the decision as to what happens because they're not able to. Um, sometimes you're left completely out of it and you feel completely helpless and hopeless. And you're in this situation which is just so bizarre and it could have been all night and you could be exhausted, and you have no one there. You have no one there. It's just you often. And and that experience when I've interviewed men, when I've seen men in uh, through my job, that moment, you know, where you could lose your wife, you can lose your baby, you don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, we. Society tells us we are protectors. You know, when we become a father, we're the protector of our wife and our child. And in that very moment, you are not fulfilling what society tells you you should be doing. And that is a very traumatic experience. And so, men often, as well as women, obviously, but men often are definitely impacted by this incredibly intense experience. And and again. They're not researched and they're also, their experiences are often not accounted for. And one of the problems is that, is how society views a man's role in the pregnancy, birth, and postnatal period. And as the uh, co-parent often as well, Um, because they're seen to be weak or, or abnormal if they have an adverse reaction to what's going on. And that's just inappropriate.
1: If there's anything we realize through becoming mothers, it's that you can't do it alone. Whether it's support, supplements, advice, or just shit moms need, Mom Body Soul has your back. And speaking of backs, it's normal to feel some backache or changes in the pelvic area during your pregnancy,
0: but it's very important you listen to your body. If you have any persistent ache or
1: experience any sharp pain, we highly recommend getting checked out by a professional. One of our favorite clinics in Hong Kong is the gorgeous and airy little hideaway that is UP Health Clinic in Central. Our very own Ziggy tried and tested their chiropractic treatments
0: during her second pregnancy.
1: I had regular weekly adjustments from my second trimester onwards and slept better than I did pre-pregnancy. You gotta do it. Over 50% of women experience back pain during pregnancy
0: that statistic increases with subsequent pregnancies so back pain is extremely common chiropractic is an effective and gentle method to resolve ongoing pain without the need for medication during pregnancy
1: find them on instagram at uphealthhk or visit their site www.uphealth.com.hk to book your appointment today
2: yeah so the, so i did my doctoral thesis on postnatal depression in or, or uh, i'll use that as the short title. Um, and I, I looked at men's experiences of the pregnancy, the per- birth and postnatal period. And so I really began to understand this, I think, quite well. Um, and, and and it's a fascinating concept. And I've always been, as I said, I've always been interested in men's mental health, but I've also always been interested in the medicalization of misery, the medicalization of suffering. And... and and, and I felt that the diagnosis postnatal depression was a very interesting and complex area when it comes to this. Discourses of patriarchy impact on women, but also impact on men, which I think is often forgotten. And the thing is, is that these discourses also impact on the concept of what a mother is and the concept of what a father is. And for women, uh, discourses surrounding childbirth and motherhood um, have caused role of mother to be seen as instinctual, biological, inflexible, as if there's only one way to be a mother, uh, happy, joyous, mother earth. Women um, have to conform to this role without protest and show only positive emotions after the birth of the child, with there being little or no recognition of the disturbance this major life transition might have on their lives, or their psychology. And for men, on the other hand, under patriarchy, uh, there's little or no uh, they have little or no status in the care or upbringing of their child and they seem to be psychologically unimpaired by the transition to fatherhood this is massively problematic and somehow is encapsulated in this really interesting diagnosis for post depression or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is often called now these exclude men that there aren't there's not a diagnosis, and this is interesting um, as a concept, and hence why I researched it. And the issue with these discourses is that women who struggle to adapt to motherhood might see themselves as inadequate and then yeah. feel low as a consequence. And men mm-hmm. who are impaired by the, the psychologically impaired by the transition to fatherhood may see themselves as abnormal, or even if they yearn to be more involved in the upbringing of their child, they might see themselves as weird or abnormal or weak which is this there couldn't be anything less weak than that and and so i found that postnatal depression was just this fascinating concept because at the one hand what it did was it it marginalized men's experiences by excluding them, but at the same time it pathologized women's experiences by saying it's abnormal to have this reaction after birth, after the birth of your child and and i must say at this point because this is like a very difficult subject to talk about in a way it's controversial there is definitely people who experience postnatal depression and there's a biological element to that, without a doubt, you know, about one to 3% of people who have postnatal depression, they have postpartum psychosis, very serious. And often there is a hormonal biological reason, but 90% of women who experience postnatal depression, maybe the majority of the reason for that is psychological. And and the thing to note here is that by giving them this label postnatal depression, um, not only does it exclude net. But And I'm not comfortable with the label postnatal depression or perinatal mood and anxiety disorder anyway, because I think on some level we medicalize again, we medicalize somebody's misery. And, and I'll tell you why, because I think if, if those women or men were sitting with me or you and they gave you a day in their life and they showed you what their birth was like, what the support they're getting from their partner or their family was like what uh, a day in their life is like, what what is their routine. And then you take all of that and you place it in the history of their lives and then you've placed them in the context. And I'll use the words of a wonderful uh, researcher in this area called Paula Nicholson. She said that it's then rational, understandable, logical, predictable, and I'll add a word in here, which is healthy, healthy to express your distress in this way. Because, and and to me, that's a far more compassionate lens to place on this experience than this diagnosis, which basically says to people, yeah, there's something wrong with you, you're ill, go to this hospital over here, or these people here, get treated. But actually, if we understand their journey and their history, we as people, we get to be more compassionate. We get to be empathic supports. towards them. We get to support them. And then we as a community can come together and go, we will give you what you're missing. It just gives you a really kind of, it just makes you understand mental health because it's not just postnatal depression. It's, it's almost all psychological diagnosis. There's a reason for suffering and we shouldn't medicalize it often. And, um, and Ziggy, I was very moved by your story, um, and I, th- I found it really inspirational, actually. Um, and it showed me, um, and it gave a real good example to the importance of community. Um, you were suffering, clearly. And you found a way. You found this person who you were very uh, close to. Uh, you found this person in your building. You went for walks. You went hiking with your dog and your child. And you downloaded, and you enabled somebody to understand your pain and through that, as we were talking about before, through sharing your pain and then building a community around you and it being validated and just experienced, you you were able to kind of begin to recover. And th- that was just such a beautiful story of how to help yourself when you're suffering. Yes, she, and she, she, she
0: really did help herself. And not only that, she's built a community out of that where she right. continues it, to help other mothers through that which is really needed in hong kong and spectacular to have that community away from home as you know because you're not living in your home country yeah and the yeah.
1: whole thing with covid as well it's made me really feel for a lot of new moms and getting emotional about it
0: it is emotional that's, that's I, I had this thought when we did the birth retreat and we did this online forum where some of the women are from here or have family here and they were saying oh when i gave birth my mom, my mom and my aunts and my whoever all came over and they held me. And I was sitting there thinking, there are so many women, men, families that I'm working with right now that do not have access to that, that don't even know if their partner will be present for their birth experience, exactly. let alone having this community come and hold you. I mean, what did you do through all of this stuff, this loss, this becoming a father as well, because you have two
2: Little ones, what- I do. Yeah, we had um, a son after that. Yeah.
0: Had a son. So, so, what was your? I mean, you have your clinical psychologist. You have a little mm. edge on.
2: <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't Actually, want everyone
0: else. on others. You're, You're asking about
2: tools, experience. like what's, yes. what's yeah. nice tools, experience. personal
0: tools, and tools you think mm. might be useful for others as yeah. well.
2: Yeah, I, I am not a big fan of, of tools, um, <laughs> or, or the concept. Um, I, um, I think Google is way better at tools than me. Uh, he'll, they'll have thousands more tools than I can offer anybody. And they're often, you know, it's a wonderful resource, Google to find them. And what I, and then one of the problems I have with tools is, um, it could be seen as a band-aid. It's kind of a band-aid. And often what are tools treating? If we think about it, tools are treating symptoms. And as I said before earlier, I, I, I want to be careful of that because symptoms are as a result of something deeper. And again, and and this goes, how do I deal with it? I had an emotional pain and I'm in danger of repeating myself here, but I had an emotional pain and it was really, it was a horrific pain. And you're right. I do have an edge knowing what I know, experiencing what I've experienced through my career. And that pain needed to be moved through. It needed to be lent into. It needed to be felt. It needed to be... Because if I didn't, I'd move around it and I would develop anxiety and then symptoms. And the symptoms are the things that tools are often working towards, right? And I'm sure you've had amazing guests and they've given incredible tools. But what I would say, what I'd add to it is say, actually, the the tools are just for symptoms. What we need to work back and find the deeper root and you need to lean into pain we don't like touching pain to get health in anything you have to build your capacity to tolerate your emotional pain and that's what I try to do
1: so there's been something coming up recently in my life where I find it overwhelming to experience anger like I'll go from totally happy there'll be a tiny little trigger and then it's full rage yeah, yeah, and then yeah. after doing some inner work, it's because yeah. I was never allowed to express anger as a child. Yeah. Exactly. I wasn't allowed to tantrum. Exactly. I wasn't allowed to get exactly. mad when things exactly. didn't go my exactly. way. So exactly. as an adult, I I have to temper tantrum. I have to go in and temper tantrum in a safe environment, like scream into the pillow, hit things, so that th- the anger can be expressed not as rage on you a regular basis.
2: Right, right. For, I think that's, take, that's incredibly insightful.
1: So, If we take this to men, and for example, boys don't cry. Yeah, so yeah, say a yeah. grown man.
2: Yeah.
1: Take my husband, for example. I've seen him cry mm. twice. Yeah. When our son was born, tears of joy. Yeah. And yeah. then when his grandmother died. I can't imagine him sitting and crying mm. and grieving. In fact, when Simon cried um, when we lost our
0: son, it made me feel physically. I said this in episode one, I felt physically sick because mm, yes, his, right, ex- exactly. his expression of this deep emotion mm. made me think, made me really reinforce how mm. bad this is, mm. how painful this is. Yeah, Right. Exactly. Cause I'd never seen him really cry before.
2: Yeah. Actually. Listen, I'd, I also have the same horrendous situation going on inside myself. Um, I, I, I wish, I wish I had the ability to cry. Um, I find it very difficult to do that. Um, I I have many things to cry about, as everyone does, but it just doesn't happen. And, you know, as men, uh, as boys, we're brought up to believe that And this is the problem, right, because whereas women are rightfully fighting for social and political and even workplace equality, there's a silent battle going on that men don't even know about. Like, we don't even know we're fighting for emotional liberation. To be able to have a feeling that is defined as feminine um, which is terrible that it's even defined as feminine because it's not. It's human that men are fighting for emotional liberation and yet it's not talked about. It's not allowed to be talked about. Um, and, and we're taught from a very young age through overt and covert signs that, um, to be emotional is to be weak. To be emotional is to be defined as something not manly not masculine and so your husbands me and so many men are impacted by the, this sort of epidemic of repression and how does that sad? it's there how does it come out how does it come out? Does it come out through detachment and distance? Does it come out through not being able to give and show the love that they have inside them? Does it come out through anger? Does it come out through violence? Does it come out through drinking? Does it come out through working? Does it come out through sex? Does it? What? How does it, because it's in there. How does it come out? When we think about all of the problems with manhood in this world, we need to think about how we treat men and what we allow them to be. It's no good saying men are bad or, or not that I'm saying you're saying that, but that, that men are terrible. It's how does the same patriarchy that impacts on women, how does that impact on men? And if we want better men and fathers, we need to be able to look at the patriarchy and how it's impacted on men in the same ways it's impacted on women. Um, this is interesting because you have two
0: she has two sons and you have a son. Yeah. what what are you are, is there anything you're thinking about with your son or ways you talk to him or
2: yeah, um, isn't it it's a fascinating, I have a girl and a boy, so I am very aware of uh, um, you know my girl she can do anything, she can be anything she's you know she she, she can just ever like I'm so aware of it. And I'm also aware of how I react to her when she cries. And then I'm I'm now a bit and now I'm aware my son is younger. I'm aware of that I need to react to my son crying in exactly the same way. Yeah. I often question because you know I, when, my, when your child cries, you go, Oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I have to stop myself and go, maybe it's not. And what is that telling them? It's not okay, of course it's okay. You've lost, you've, something has hurt you, Something you've lost something. Um, this is wonderful that you're crying, that you're expressing this. And yet there's just this, again, we go back to that pain. It hurts me to feel my child cry. I want to soothe my pain by saying it's okay. And straight away from that age, from that tiny age, because they were one and four, what message is that giving them? What message am I giving them? I'm saying, there's don't stop crying stop crying uh because it's okay everything's fine ignore your pain and that's where it starts from it's that it's as simple as that and we have to change completely the way we deal with our children's and our, our own pain and just even that tiny example is 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 how hard it is and um and how i have to check myself and, uh, and so I don't know if that was, we question.
1: come back to this so much because, yeah. and, and I think that's why we've had so many guests on who, um, fall into the bracket of conscious parenting, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, we're, we see our children and we hear, we, I see you and I hear you have been hmm. the two biggest, um, yeah. changes to yeah, my vocabulary. Right. I, with my and child, I, yeah,
2: exactly. it's.
1: I think this topic, and I, I'm sure
0: we could, you know, go off on a tangent mm-hmm. on this one. But I think it's so interesting because our generation is getting intrigued by. Okay, we were parented like Ziggy's talking about. She wasn't allowed to behave in certain ways, and yeah. our generation's like, "Hmm, that's not working." We need to recognize our emotions, but it takes a lot of energy and thought process to do it. Well, and it I does, like yes. you, you yourself, you know. And I, I hope it helps people to realize, like, you yourself doing your job, you oh, still yeah. need to stop and think and put that energy in. So it, it's – I think it made me feel better to realize it's work. It's okay. Oh, it's, and it's, it, it's so you – know And it's okay yeah. that it's work. It's okay that it's work. It doesn't have to be – I think I have these expectations I should parent it yeah. should just flow from me. And like what you talked about, that instinctual, there are aspects of, of parenthood that are instinctual, but there are aspects of parenthood that are taking some real effort and research and understanding and moments of stopping, moments of reflecting, yeah. and,
2: you know, it's a process. And
1: modeling. I find that yeah. to be the uh, hardest, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Modeling That's the behavior
1: exactly. that I wish my child
0: we get into our final segment I would just Mm. want to ask you if you you know could think about your transition as yourself into Mm. fatherhood what was what were things that you found that either you wished you knew or things that you think would be more helpful to push this conversation forward that we can start opening this conversation about how can we support fathers or partners yep. i don't want to yep. um i want to keep yep. everyone included so it can be partners. exactly
2: exactly and, and in a way i'm not going to delineate between men and women or partners or i'm going to just talk about people in general because again if we if we make a split we suggest that the experiences are completely different for one and the other mm. and so i'm going to just i'm going to talk about being a parent like what's what's that and what do i know and again i'm not good with advice that but what i will say is that um What I think is most important for parents is to go into parenting with the idea that they are mistake makers, that they can expect nothing more of themselves than to be a mistake maker, that that you are going to make mistakes in parenting. That is inevitable. And one of the problems we have in society is a lot of people is they have the expectation that they need to be perfect, flawless and not guilty. And I, every day, I say to myself, I am imperfect, I am flawed, and I am guilty. And I love that because that means that I don't have the pressure to live up to this unrealistic expectation, which I can then punish myself for later. So I allow myself to make mistakes. And the awesome thing is is when I do make a mistake, which I do often, I feel that, and I feel the guilt, and I will say to my child, I am sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I hurt you. I'm really sorry I didn't do whatever it is you wanted to do. And I mean emotionally hurt them. Um, and then what this does, and it goes back to what you were saying, Ziggy, the awesome thing about this, the awesome thing about feeling your guilt and allowing yourself to have it and not going to shame, which I can talk more about if you want, is you model. You are then modeling to your child. It's okay to make a mistake. These big people who you idealize, they make mistakes too. And that's part of being human. And not only that, but then when you do make a mistake, you apologize. You apologize. You fix it. You repair it. That's as simple as it gets. And, and to me, so anyone being a parent, that's the thing, right? Mistake maker, apologize, moderate to your child guilt. And how because I love guilt. Like guilt is m- my favorite emotion. I love it. I love it. I think it's the most beautiful thing about being a human being. I think that we have the capacity to guilt. It gives me so much faith in humanity because we've got this internal compass inside ourselves that's saying, yeah, you didn't do well there. Do something different, you know, do something different. But the problem is, is that a lot of people they feel guilt. It's painful. It's the last thing you want to feel, and they go to shame. I'm such a bad person, I'm terrible. Oh my God, what a bad mother, what a bad father I am. Oh my God, I'm never going to be good at this. And then you end up feeling hopeless and helpless and depressed and despairing. And that's where you can go. But what happens if we just take a step back? You did something wrong. Maybe you didn't live up to an ideal that was unrealistic in the first place, but you did something wrong. What happens if you just felt it? I mean, just both of you. I mean, if you can think of a moment in the last day or two days or whatever, just a moment that you felt... Guilty, uh, or something that you didn't behave in the way you wanted to. How do you feel it? How does it feel physically in your body? If you just concentrate on that sense of guilt, well, what do you feel? Can you feel it? Yeah,
1: aching. It
2: feel like just it feels feel very pain?
1: heavy. It's like a yeah. Heavy.
2: Okay, great. Now, if you concentrate on that feeling, what does it make you want to do? What's the impulse?
1: To run away, <laughs> mine is okay, to do, so to change one. it, to 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 do something,
2: right? To make exactly. it Exactly. And that's great that you both had different answers, right? Because, you know, when we really connect with our guilt and we understand what it's telling us, remember feelings are a signal that are alerting us to something. It tells us what we need to do. And what we need to do is hold, hug, apologize, fix, repair, restore. Now, a lot of people want to run away from their guilt. I do. I definitely do. And then because it's painful to run towards it guilt is a corrective emotion and all guilt is is your love.
0: I'm a huge yeah. uh, proponent of feeling feelings uh, and leaning into the all way to feelings. Deal. And I I don't think I, I have for lack of a better word negative feelings. I don't even like calling them that. I
2: don't negative like the feelings. term. I hate the term. Yeah, I don't a, like the term, term feeling, but exactly.
0: for explaining to the you know well, the world. Yeah, audience, absolutely. I don't think yeah. of feelings as these are good feelings and these are bad feelings. Yeah, these exactly. are just different yeah. feelings and all feelings. I always say all feelings are welcome here and Absolutely. you need, you need them all. We need them all. That's, so that's what therapy right. is. That's what therapy is. All right. This is a great time to come to our last segment, which uh, it's normally mom, body, soul, but
1: obviously as our honorary first male guest, we're doing dad, body, soul. Okay. So for dad. What is the biggest joy of being a father
2: of two? (laughs) There are moments in time where you, you know, I'm standing there and I'm watching my children be together. And, you know, it might be my daughter just randomly saying to Solly, to my my son, I love you, Solly. Or or there's a moment where she goes, I really like you, Solly. And it's just this bond and connection they have, which is so lovely. And sometimes, you know, they'll just randomly cuddle each other. And my wife and I will stand and we'll look. And it's that moment where we look look at each other and we know, you know, there's something special going on. It's lovely. It's just really lovely. I love watching the two of them together.
0: Body, what was it like from your perspective, watching your partner go through the process of birth?
2: Yeah, um, first time, really difficult. Really difficult. I found it really, really taxing. My wife is a really affectionate person, and you know, often can't get enough of me being affectionate with her. But one of the hardest things was um, was her not wanting me to touch her during during labor, and I found that really hard because I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not like, yeah, let's go, we can do it. Like I can't. I'm not that kind of person. So I felt um, really uh, unprepared to know how to support her in that moment if I can't touch her. So
1: Soul, what is the best piece of advice you could give someone <laughs> you could give to someone who's about to become a father?
2: The one thing I, I would say again, I repeat myself is, is just allow yourself to be a mistake maker, give yourself that compassion to not be perfect, flawless and And not guilty we are all imperfect flawed and and guilty and i love that apply that to our parenthood and when we do fall short of the mark that we ourselves define as not okay um, lean into that guilt and apologize repair if you find yourself going to shame there's something going on there that needs to be looked at. There's something going on there that, that you need to get help with. I'm imperfect, flawed, and I'm guilty. I really find a lot of inspiration from that because I don't like toxic positivity. I think it is toxic. Um, I think it's unrealistic. I am imperfect. I am flawed. I am guilty. And that means I am human. And if I continue to live to an ideal that has to be perfect, flawless, and guilt and not guilty, then I am just inviting myself to punish myself every single day by not living up to that ideal. And so, and a lot of people do that. And I can tell you, it causes a lot of problems.
0: Toxic positivity. Can you explain for the listeners what that means? Mm.
2: But there's this sense that we always have to be happy, we always have to be on, we always have to be our best, we always have to, you know, any negative experience is a bad thing and you've got to kind of get on with it and move forward and and uh, and anything that's bad in your life, you can just put on a positive attitude and you'll be okay, is horrifically unkind. And inappropriate to somebody that's going through some suffering and it couldn't be less compassionate to a person's experience and um and so I'm very you know as you said Lindsay um feelings are there for a reason we have sadness because we love and we lose we have anger because somebody has disrespected us invalidated us not supported us or hurt us we have guilt because we have hurt somebody we love um, all of those things are considered negative emotions. And can I just say that all of those emotions are related to love. You are sad because you lose something you love. You are angry because someone that you care about or something you care about has hurt you. You are guilty because you failed to, um, you hurt somebody you love. So how can any of these things be not felt? They should so be felt because it honors your love of whoever and whatever, and um and so toxic positivity means we miss that. It's a it's a dearth in this. It's a it's a bad thing in this world. That that
0: I, I uh, I'm so on board. I, I have a thing is. with this as well, and I'm really on mm-hmm. board with it. If you'd like to connect with Dr. David Spector, you can find him at psychologycare.com.au. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Mom, Body, Soul podcast, shoot us an email at mombodysoulpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next week, this is Mom, Body, Soul.